we're kicking off a new series this week. It's called Vending Machine Jesus. And for those of you that were here last week, you heard me say, there's not any part of us that, you know, as a church that believes that Jesus is some kind of vending machine, but we titled it that because we understand that there is sort of this attitude about how to approach God, especially in prayer, that maybe, you know, we do put in a few coins and maybe push a couple of buttons and we, we're going to get the result that we're looking for. And for any of you that have been actively involved in a prayer life, I think you understand that's not how it necessarily goes down. But uh, I think what we wanted to do was dispel some myths about prayer, give you some truths about prayer. And we're going to do that. How many of you, just by a show of hands, would say, yeah, I would like to see my prayer life enhanced just in your own life. Yeah, me, I'm, I'm with you. You know, sometimes like, because this is so true for me, at times I look at prayer and I go, am I, am I doing this right? You know, I, I, am, I, am I praying too long, too short? Uh, sometimes I feel guilty that maybe I'm not praying enough. I have all kinds of questions myself over the years, just trying to dig in and understand prayer. And I know many of you do at times as well. This powerful thing where God says you have access, this door is open to the creator of the universe. And yet, you know, if we don't understand it, maybe we miss out on some of those opportunities to really encounter an incredible uh, access to our heavenly father. I, I did put in my notes, and I think it's in yours as well, I put five reasons why I think sometimes we do miss having a successful prayer life. And I think some top five reasons I wanted to share with you, and I think for some of you, you miss out on having a great prayer life because you're not a believer. And <laughs> let me just say very clearly, the Bible says if you want access to God in prayer, you have to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Some of you, you want to have a successful prayer life, but you are not a part of the family of God. You do not have a relationship with Jesus. And so it begins, as harsh as that is, is the truth. And I want to give you the truth. If you want access to a great prayer life, you have to decide that you want to enter into that relationship with the creator of the universe. And God says that happened through a gift of Jesus Christ. And so I, I, that you'll have uh, an opportunity throughout this series and even this week to say, well, I, I sure would like to have access to a prayer life and you can have an access to, to, to that through uh, making that commitment to Jesus. Second thing in your notes is that I think some people are just not sure how to pray. Or just maybe we don't have a successful prayer life because we haven't taken time to maybe understand it. And, and we want to know things like I just mentioned. You know, what is there? Is it too long? Is it too short? What is the right way? Uh, did God produce some sort of secondary book where we open up and here's all the codes to prayer? No, he did not. But in God's word, we get plenty of information about things related to prayer and understanding prayer. So we're going to, again, dig into that in our time together over the next several weeks. I think some people, number three, uh, this I'm right here uh, in this one. Sometimes we maybe get a little bored or distracted. All right, so I could be alone in this, but you know I have these moments when I'm praying. Again, maybe it's just me and there's nobody else here, but I'll be praying and then I'm like, oh man, did we forget the butter in the groceries? This like... <laughs> Oh man, the oil change. I forgot to do the oil change. You know, it's a squirrel moment and I'm just, I'm like, I feel like sometimes I miss in that connectivity because maybe I'm a little bit distracted. So I don't know, maybe somebody relates to that. Uh, and then here's the fourth thing I put in your notes. I think sometimes we think our requests are just too small. I mean, really, if he is the creator of the universe, all knowing everywhere at one time, God, 
spinning the planets very beautifully. Why would he care about my, my little prayer request? And I think there's an opposite end of this. I think sometimes we, we maybe aren't uh, trusting enough for, for the biggest prayers. Maybe we wonder if it's too big. So, I mean, we think of all of these are questions, and then here's the last thing. We wonder, does it really even make a difference? Right, because he does know it all. And if God is a know-it-all, know-everything God, why do we need to pray to him if he already knows everything? We're gonna answer, actually, some of that here this weekend. What I wanna do, though, is take this really kind of overarching 30,000-foot view of prayer today uh, kind of do that, and then over the next several weeks, really dial in, in even more deeply about some things related to prayer. I will say this, if you're here and you know you are somebody who's been a, a praying person for a long time as a believer in Christ, I think you're going to hear even today some maybe some resets, some checks on how you're operating in your prayer life that may help you here. So I hope you'll take good notes and pay attention. Uh, but I think there's a little bit of something here for every one of us as we walk through this. Prayer does make a difference. I remember uh, reading how, um, you know, this was uh, something that, you know, even for Albert Einstein, that he said, I wanna know more about this. As a matter of fact, uh, history records back in 1952 at the campus of Princeton University, there was a... Um, student there who was going to do his doctoral thesis and he said you know what what is something uh, uh, Mr. Einstein that I could write about that maybe nobody else has done a dissertation on or something and, and Albert Einstein said write about prayer nobody's talking about the power of prayer uh, I, not long after that more and more people began to start kind of unpacking uh, things about prayer. Fast forward about 50 years later, uh, the setting is Duke University Medical Center. There's a cardiologist there who wants to know about the power of prayer. And he sets out on a mission to survey many of his patients and to just see like, you know, what are the praying people encountering in their physical journey under my care in cardiology? And so he asked this question, is there a measurable incremental benefit to prayer? Does it make a difference in the medical realm? And here are uh, some of the words from his report. He said, we saw impressive reductions in all the negative outcomes of heart patients. The bad outcomes were measured in the study. What we looked for routinely in cardiology trials are outcomes such as death, heart attack, lungs filling with water, what we call congestive heart failure. In patients who were treated in the course of these problems, we measured, he says, we measured those who were of faith and active in a prayer life versus those who were not. And in fact, they added in some random trials as well as a result of that study. Here's what he said. The group who was assigned prayer therapy, prayer therapy there was a 50% reduction in all complications and a 100% reduction in major complications. We, we see science has studied, hey, this prayer make a difference. Science begins to look at this, go across our country over the Pacific College of Medicine in San Francisco. Dr. Elizabeth Targ uh, says, you know what, she's treating 14 under her care, 14 AIDS patients. And she wanted to see what the result was for them. And she had uh, 10 of her patients that were praying and four that were not. And so she started to look at some of their outcomes. And she said this, people that received received prayer had six times, the people that encountered prayer had six times 
fewer hospitalizations. In fact, she wrote this, and we'll put it up on the screen, her quote in an interview. She said, about prayer, she said, I was shocked. In a way, it was like witnessing a miracle. There's no way to understand this from my experience from basic human understanding of science. Yeah, it, we see still today a power of prayer. Understanding it, though, is so important. Chuck Colson, who uh, certainly a well-known Christian observer over the years, he said this once about, about prayer. He said, we can study, and such studies have plenty of critics, but new research has definitely left many people scratching their heads. Is prayer something that could be put under a microscope and examined? Probably not, maybe, maybe not. But he said this, one thing is for sure, what we see over and over again is that prayer works and prayer is real. And so with that, this question of does, does it actually make a difference? Well, yes, it does make a difference, but what I wanna do is kind of look at a scripture to set us in motion, Colossians 4 and verse two. Here's the reminder to those of you who call yourselves Christians. Here it is, ready? In Colossians 4, 2, it says this, devote, here's what we do as believers, we devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. This is what we do as believers. What is a good definition of prayer? Let me give you a very powerful, scientific, I spent a lot of time researching this to give you the most scientific, intellectual answer I could give you. Here it is in your notes, ready? Prayer is simply this, communicating with God. Not very scientific. Actually, it really is that simple. Through your relationship with Christ, that door opens and we communicate with God. I want to talk about for sure what I could share with you today that prayer absolutely does. And I think, again, these are resetters. These are foundational builders. For some of you, it's a reminder of what makes a successful prayer life. And, and so I put these things in your notes. So what I want to start with is uh, some important scripture from Jesus. You know, Jesus in this moment where he's delivering something called the Sermon on the Mount, over a couple of chapters in the Bible, he's delivering these powerful words on how you and I uh, would operate as followers, some truths about our faith. It's very powerful, Sermon on the Mount, and you should go check that out. But as he's going on this journey, moving into Matthew chapter six, we see Jesus say, all right, now let's talk about prayer. And I feel like that's a really good place to start. Like if the Son of God says, let me tell you some important things about prayer, we should probably pay attention. And so we're gonna kind of start there, and here's kind of the first thing that we see there in the text in Matthew 6, verse five. He says, and when you pray, and I think that's important first few words right there because the issue here for coming out of Jesus' mouth, he's not saying, and if you decide to pray. He's saying, hey, followers of me, it's not a matter of if, it's we're praying. That's what we do. He's not questioning whether prayer works. He's not kind of like, I don't know about this thing. No, you're hearing the Son of God say, we pray, that it's important. So I think that is a great starting point. In fact, I put this in my notes. It's not in yours, but it's been said that the person who has learned to pray has learned the greatest secret of a holy and healthy life, holy and happy and healthy life. Now, here's what I want to just share with you in our time together, these four things. Let me give you the first one in your notes. You can write this down. First thing in your notes, prayer absolutely does this. Every time you pray, you prove that God exists. That, that's what you're doing. You say, God, you, you decide to go pray. You're 
you're saying there must be a God. At least if you're even not a believer, you're like, I'm gonna give this thing a shot, right? But you're thinking in some kind of way that there is a God. Of course, as believers in Christ, we absolutely do believe there's a God. And so every time I go to God in prayer, I'm making an admission that I do believe that God exists. It's a step of faith. It's exercising my faith. It's putting into action and saying, this is something that I do multiple times a day. I make an admittance that I believe God is real. It's one of the things that still is going on in, our, in this American culture today where people talk about, oh, people are pushing away from faith. Uh, no, what we know, I shared last week, still 80 to 90% of Americans surveyed said, They believe there's some kind of God, and tracking along with that is the data about prayer. Many of those very same people believe that prayer exists, and and they try prayer in some way or another. And so when you decide, like for something little for me, like there's something little, I pray before my meals. I pray, what am I doing when I pray before a meal? Well, I'm doing several different things. Actually, there's a whole thing about that, but for me, one of the things I'm doing is I'm Admitting, God, you're real in my life. That's just, that, that's what I'm doing. If I go into a restaurant and I'm praying, so I don't leave this to my wife to do or nobody else to do. I do this. I'm the man of my home. And so I lead our family in prayer. And so I'll do it. We go to a restaurant. What am I doing for the people around me? I'm letting the people around me know that I believe in God when I pray. It seems like something so little, but, but it is a part of that admittance. I'll just do a little squirrel Side note moment here, just help you understand the importance of praying before a meal. It's not some legalistic requirement, so I'm not here to suggest that. But let me just tell you what I, why I do that. Uh, first of all, I'll tell you one reason I just mentioned. It's the existence of God. It is evangelistic. When you're around other people, you're letting them know that you believe in God. You're in a restaurant. People see you praying. You're not ashamed. You make that admittance. Another reason why I pray before a meal is because it's a reminder. God, I'm going to give thanks for the provision. It's just food, right? But God provided And so I take time to say, thank you, God, for this meal. Before I eat of the physical, I give thanks to God for the spiritual. I give thanks for what God has provided in my life, and I give thanks in Jesus' name. Now, that's just a little bit about praying before a meal. But in that moment, it's still exercising faith. Even the person who says they are an atheist, and I would say this, many people like to say they are atheists, and they're just not. Okay, and I don't have time to go into that, but they're just not atheists. They might be something else, but they're not atheists. But even the person who might say that they are an atheist has these moments, and, and, and you, know that, you, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's these moments where you could say, I've pushed away from God. I don't believe in God. don't believe anything to do with faith. But even that person that's lived a life like that so hardened to try to prove that God does not exist can have a very dark moment in their life where they go something like this. I'm going to just try this, God. (laughs) It's a prayer balloon. You know, it's like, okay, uh, if you even exist, God, now's the time to show me, which is a very unhelpful prayer, quite honestly. But, you know, a guy is, okay, I'm going to throw up this trial balloon and just see kind of what's going to happen here in this moment, you know? And and so when you're in a dark place, when humanity is in a dark place, why is that data so high on people that still think prayer matters, it's because people want to believe in that dark moment that maybe there's some sort of response. You've heard the old saying, there's no, 
there's no atheists in foxholes. You know, it has to do with war and like, okay, when the chips are down, I might need to kind of have a little conversation with God. Uh, so here's what we know is that there's always something inside of humanity that cries out for the eternal when the temporal is in turmoil. And we start wondering these types of things. And we've all seen it or maybe even personally encountered that in our own life. I saw a bumper sticker that talked, you know, we talk so much about should we pray in school or not pray in school. I saw a bumper sticker. It said this, as long as there are tests in school, there will be prayer in schools. <laughs> hey, you've seen a student who's like, okay, God, I need your help. I did not study. Would you magically put the answers in my brain right now? <laughs> Which is, again, it's not a very effective prayer. But but, you know, it's like, okay, I need some sort of bailout program here like this. Let me say this. If you're here and you are one of these folks who isn't a believer and you'd like to think that prayer works, I, you are in the right place, first of all, because every weekend we have people here that come to our church who are not believers, and so we're glad you're here. You are going to get some information. In fact, what I'm going to offer you in our time together is, you know, what you might consider uh, over the next several weeks, uh, the intellectual information you might be looking for as you process this very mystical thing called prayer. I'm going to give you the intellectual data. I'm going to give you the spiritual information, and you will have an opportunity to begin a journey where through prayer, God proves his existence and you will get hopefully enough to say, hey, I, I'm ready to test this and begin that journey. That's not to say that you become a believer and instantly, again, it's a vending machine situation, not at all, but I'm ready to begin that journey and, and we would love for you to begin that journey. There are others of you here and here's your story. There's a segment of our people, kind of like I was talking about last week, you know that you came to know Jesus and you were baptized and God has been very real. You've prayed some prayers that have been answered and that's all been a part of your life. But you would sense that maybe you are distant. God feels a little distant from you right now. And there are some of you, in fact, the question I get many times from believers over the years is, what do I do when I feel like God is distant right now? I love uh, Pastor Darius did a sermon several months ago where his entire sermon was, you know, feeling distant, people feeling distant from God. But, you know, I always tell people, like, first of all, you know, I'll ask them, like, if you feel distant from God, are, are, you, are you serving? Because I think that's so important. Again, a little sidetrack here, but, but it, the most high that you will ever encounter in your faith is when you come to know Christ and you encounter that forgiveness of sin and you sense right there really in that moment that God is real. There's a part of the natural cycle of our faith where we crave to encounter that high but we can't seem to and we start to feel like God is a little distant. We're in this little side of that natural journey. And the truth is, is you will probably never necessarily encounter a high like you encountered when you came to know Jesus Christ. But one of the ways we continue to see God moving in us and around us is when we're serving and we watch people that we're serving come to know Jesus Christ, like many of you saw last weekend here at our church. And that's how I get stirred and that fire gets stoked again every time I see that take place in my life. Serving is one way, but another way to make sure that you are staying in consistent connectivity with God is to have a very active prayer life. When Christians have an active prayer life, making those daily and really multiple times a day connectivity, we're positioning ourselves to always be in a place where we can encounter God. And when you have those prayer moments, 
It's not about coming to God with some sort of a theological high-mindedness and some philosophical language. Again, all we're doing is just communicating with God. In fact, in Matthew 6, 5, it goes on. We started it out. It said, and when you pray, and then this is what Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Jesus says this, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, and I'll I'll stop there because he's going to go on further about prayer, but he says right here, like, this is not about putting on a show. In fact, he's talking about a group of people. He calls them hypocrites, these religious leaders who love to stand on street corners and put on a show for everybody else and pray out loud and look some sort of part, you know, while they're out there doing that. And I, what he's saying is like, that's not what we got to do. In fact, I think in the year 2023, if you go out on the street corner and you're just yelling out prayers on the street corner, even today, you know, there's some very nice men in white coats are going to pull up and they're going to put you in a very nice white van and take you away somewhere to check on you. Because we would say like, okay, what are we doing here? What are we putting on some kind of weird show? No. Uh, Jesus is like, uh, it's not about all these fancy words or putting on some sort of great show like the hypocrites do. No, it's about this very rich connectivity and communication with God. You know, there's a a very famous scripture that people know. It's in Jeremiah 29 and 11, and God says this, where I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans of, uh, to, give you, to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and give you a future, and people love that scripture. Right after that is such a powerful next verses, and it says this in verse 12. In those days when you, when you what? Pray. Here's God's promise. He says, I will listen. If you look for me in earnest, you will find me. When you seek me, I will be found by you, says the Lord. God's promise is that if you seek him, you will find him. And in your prayer connectivity, you are positioning yourself to regularly, regularly hear from him. Albert Einstein, I love, he says this. He says, God is not playing dice with humanity. He's not playing hide and seek with you and I. If we seek him, we can indeed find him. Here's the next thing in your notes. Prayer reconnects us with our heavenly father. So it's a, it is about that reconnection, especially for the believer. And so I want to just talk about this. As a matter of fact, if I was to just kind of delve into something we might call the theology of prayer, uh, here's what we, we know is that that this all the theology of prayer ties very heavily, 100% ties to what took place on the cross with Jesus. So Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection has enabled all of humanity to now have the possibility to know God's existence and to connect with him all the time. Prior to Jesus' arrival, this was not a possibility for humanity. You and I, we could not have this. If people would propose God's existence and we had things of the temple and we had things of the high priest, but it was not really possible for us to have that personal connection with God. And then Jesus comes and he makes a way for the heavenly doors to open up so that you and I can go directly to that relationship with the heavenly Father. And this is important because, again, I mentioned this at the beginning, if you do not accept that gift that God gave so that you could have that connectivity, then you're missing out on a successful 
prayer life, in the theology of prayer, going back to the cross, what we understand is that Jesus comes as 100% God and 100% man all at once. And with that, he is able to, in essence, bridge the gap between the heavenly realms and humanity in a very cliche way. People will say, in his time here on earth and going to the cross, what did Jesus do? He reached out one hand to the heavenly realms and one hand to the earth, to humanity and bridged them together through the work of the cross. Not by your work, but the work of the cross. And in that, we now have that richness. From there, you and I have that access and we begin, as believers in Christ, we begin to dig into that regularly over and over in our lives. Yes, it proves God's existence when we have an active prayer life, but it enhances and enriches our walk with God when we're always kind of digging into that relationship further and further. Jesus says at the end of Matthew 6 and 5, he says, and now about prayer. He's talking to those of us who are followers and the reminder that we ought to be regularly making that connection. And so to just put this in one final perspective, that reconnecting daily with God, think of it like this. If, we were, if, the, if you're getting married, it's a big day. There's a celebration, this covenant, this moment as we go to the altar. There's a lot of activity around that day and everybody's so excited. And you get married, you marry your spouse, and then imagine you never talk to them again. Some of you, that's where you are right now in your marriage. I'm just, that's kind of the deal right now. You understand, like, if I was doing a marriage seminar right now, one of the top five things we would be talking about is why some marriages struggle is because they fail to communicate, right? They're not talking well to each other. We know that that happens. Well, you've entered into a covenant relationship with God. You don't just say, okay, now, God, I'm going to ignore you. No, we develop and grow that relationship now, learning more and more about that intimacy with God, and we develop that through our prayer life. So important to the the spiritual feeding of your soul. I hear people say, Pastor, I just want to be fed. I just want, and I've always said, like, when you say that, you are indicting yourself very deeply. But if I was telling you, like, how, how does one feed themselves? I would say to you, go home and daily read your Bible. And I would say, go home and daily pray consistently. It'd be two things I'd tell you right now if you, wanna, if you really want to say I'm being fed. And here's the thing. I can't do that for you. It, you have to go home daily and study. Or you have to go home daily and pray. I can't do that. And so this is on you. And you want reconnecting, regularly growing in that journey with God. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus goes on and says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your, pray to your what? Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret. Okay, the opposite. I'm gonna go on the babbling on the street corner. No, no, no. And yelling. No, I'm gonna go to a quiet place and I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek out, and he calls it in a very, in term, very rich term of endearment, Jesus says, Father. 
I mentioned last week, the closer we get to God, the more the names have a kind of intimacy can be, can be seen by the names that we call people and refer to people. Jesus declares in this term of endearment the intimacy of the heavenly father, which is something like an earthly father that guides us spiritually, invests in us, gives us confidence to move forward in life, but now times whatever when you think about a heavenly father. And so he's referring to, to God as something like a guide guiding father figure. I always talk, it's hard, again, for some people who don't have a good father figure here on earth to relate to this, but out of a portrait of intimacy, many people get there and they say, this is my father for for my life. Again, you may have other terms of endearment that you use in your connection to God, but in that, this ongoing relationship with God, that speaking, just calling God the names that we call him and love and intimacy that we have developed. Pastor Gary, how many times should I reconnect with God? Well, daily, and I would submit to you if you're growing in your walk with God, whether it's Shorter prayers and longer prayers, finding opportunity multiple times throughout the day to enrich that connectivity and communication with God. Now, as I share those first two things, it always brings us to this question people might ask, and I touched on this earlier. Okay, if God is the all-knowing, all-everything-at-one-time God, and he already knows all our secrets, do we really need to come to him in the first place? And the next two points are gonna help you understand why prayer is so important uh, for you outside of what we've already talked about. And here's the third thing in your notes. Prayer puts you in a position to admit your dependency on God. And I think we miss this and even the next one that I'm about to go through. I think we miss this sometimes in our prayer life, the value of this. When I come to God regularly, I'm, I'm admitting in each of those moments, God, I need you, I want you for my life, I need your strength, your power, your energy, your provision for me. I need that. And so uh, it's kind of a a daily multiple opportunity to reset, reset. Because it's real easy to say, look what I did. Look how important I am, even though God's the author of all of it. Look at how big time I'm resetting in all of those occasions, God. No, it's not about me, it's about you. And God, I need you and I want you to take leadership and lordship of my life. I wrote this in my notes and it's really kind of a spin the vending machine situation around to something that puts us in proper perspective. It's not in your notes, but here's what I wrote. Prayer is not about showing that God is available to you. Prayer is about showing that you are available to God. A very different perspective for some of you who go to God with your list of demands, 247. No, no, no. What about me positioning myself right away, God, I'm dependent on you, and God, I'm ready to hear what you have for me in my life. I'm ready to listen to you. I am your your servant, and I come before you, and I say, God, what are you trying to tell me right now? I, I want to know what you have in store for me. Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8, it goes on, it says, and when you pray, do not go on babbling like the pagans, for they for they, will be, uh, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't, no, don't, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So because he already knows what we need before we ask, prayer then is not for God's sake, it's for your sake. And it's for you to position yourself to hear God, this thing, open door, 
it's here, I'm ready to listen. What are you trying to tell me? And one of the best things you can do when you enter into prayer is to encounter silence. And this is so hard because we got our phones and all of our notifications. We got these watches that just ping us all day long with notifications. We got all kinds of ways in which we can be interrupted, more so than ever before in human history, not to mention the kids going crazy. And so all of a sudden you're trying to find some quiet time and it feels like you cannot find that quiet time. But if we position ourselves in right positioning, what are we doing? We are putting ourselves in a place where we can hear from God, and it's not gonna be happen in the noisy moments. This is gonna be a great challenge for many of us to enhance our spiritual journey, to just say, silence, God, I wanna, I wanna be quiet. What if, what if you thought about it like this? I'm gonna go to God in prayer, and the first thing before I even open my mouth about my list of things, I just listen. God, what are you gonna say first? God, I, I wanna hear from you right now. I'm just gonna be quiet and try to sense your presence. What if your connection with God could deepen in a moment just like that regularly in your prayer life? I love how uh, the devotional writer Charles Allen says this about prayer. He says, prayer is not a means by which I seek to control God. It is a means of putting myself in a position where God can control me. Whoa, that's... That's a 180 from so many of the ways that we go to God in prayer. I'm not gonna try to, I'm not here to control you, God. That's not gonna work. So God, how, how can you do a work in me? And that leads us to the last issue uh, for our time together today, and that is this. We yield our will to God's will when we're in prayer. Ultimately, I'm putting myself in a position to say, I do wanna know what the will is, God, that you have for me. He already knows the best possible life for you. God already knows what it is that you need, but you're not gonna discover that until you yield again and let him go first, right? That's what we do in traffic. I'm gonna yield and let the other person go ahead of me. In our prayer life, we say, I yield myself, God. I wanna know your will uh, and, and what should happen. How many of you, what should happen? How many of you are familiar with with the Lord's Prayer. Anybody here familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Okay, some of you, good. What I'm gonna do is put up on the screen the Lord's Prayer, and we're gonna put a, a translation that just kinda makes it maybe easier to understand. Some of you know the Lord's Prayer a little bit differently in the verbiage, but we put it up here, it says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Now, this prayer is a what we might call a model prayer for how to pray. It's not the only way to pray, There are, but it's, it's given to us as a model. And in this model prayer, we see all kinds of little supplications and Things that God is, is kind of revealing to us that said, this is what you want to pay attention to in, in a prayer. But in this, we see a key line in there that I want to bring to your attention. It's known as the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. And I want to read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen again, but let me just read it to you because we just kind of went through this together. The third petition of the Lord's Prayer says, your will, God, be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's such an important key to a successful prayer life. That's the portrait of yielding. A um, philosopher, Aldous Huxley, said this about the Lord's Prayer. The third petition of the Lord's Prayer is repeated by millions who have not the slightest intention of letting anyone's will be done but their own. Ouch. God, I'm pushing the buttons. I put the quarters in. I push the F11. I'm supposed to get this. And what about God's will for your life? Some of you right now are in a battle in your life because you want something your way and you maybe haven't really considered or at least not willing to relent and yield to God's will for your life. And I don't know what that battle is and it could be different for anybody in this room, but we give you this connect card that you got when you came in. And there's a place, we have a prayer team that prays over these cards every week after you drop them in the buckets at the end of our time together. And if you have something you'd like our help to pray with you on, joining you in prayer over something where you know you need to sort of submit to God's will and something for your life because you've been trying it your way and you realize your way is not the answer. So God, I wanna know what your will is, right? It could be an addiction. And you've tried it under your own power, but God, I need to submit to your will. It could be your finances. And you've been doing it your way for a long time, but God, what's your will for my finances? It could be in your marriage, and you've been doing something in your marriage, and you've been doing it your way, but what is God's will and design for your marriage? It could be a career that you're thinking about moving into or debating something on in, in, in your life. It got, okay, that's what I want, but God, what is your will? You could just write maybe uh, there on the back of the card in that prayer area and say, yeah, join me in prayer over God's will for this in my life, I'm gonna start seeking God's, God's will. Corey Ten Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor, she wrote some books, In one of her books, she says this, she says uh, this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Are you allowing prayer to drive God's will to steer you in your life or are you just kinda, is he just kind of along for the ride? This is critical because we serve a savior who modeled all of this for you and I. Over and over, everything we, we learn, you know, in our faith, Jesus modeled for humanity and he modeled yielding to God's will. You know this, if you know the story of the crucifixion, as Jesus was going to be going to the cross, there was this moment where he said, God, if it if it's, could be done, would you take this cup of suffering from me? But then he says, but but not my will, God, let your will be done. He's saying that when he addresses God in that moment. In that moment, what does Jesus do? He says, in, in the flesh side, there's things that maybe I want, but I yield ultimately to the heavenly Father. And the bigger thing did come forth. Because Jesus yielded in that moment to the heavenly Father, he went all the way to the cross, he dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven, but he creates a way in which all of humanity going forward from that moment could have a relationship to the heavenly fa with the heavenly Father. He doesn't say, let me just kind of have it my way and let's be done. God, what do you have in store? And the bigger thing is always coming forth when we say, God, let your will be done. We hold on to that. No, 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 it can't possibly be. Some of you are here today on a great spiritual journey with God because Jesus said, God, let your will be done. 
And because of that, we're now all connected for those who have a relationship with Jesus. We're connected directly to the heavenly Father. Matthew 27 and verse 50 says, then Jesus shouted out again. He released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split apart. That veil in the temple, that curtain that divided God and humanity. It was torn and now all of a sudden we are brought into relationship directly with God. We don't need to go to a priest any longer. He is now the high priest and he's seated there by the right hand of the Father to intercede and work on your behalf. What an incredible openness to God that you and I have because, because of Jesus. Hebrews 9 and 11. So Christ has now come to be the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands. It's not a part of this created world, verse 15. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. We're gonna keep diving deeper in our time together, but what I wanna do is pray different groups of people in different places in their spiritual journey. I just, would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. God, right now, there's uh, maybe a longtime believer here and there's just some resets that maybe are happening in, in their approach to prayer. And God, I pray that, God, they would take those steps. There's maybe somebody here feeling a little distant or feeling weak in their prayer life. Maybe they're making recommitments right now. They're saying, God, I'm, uh, tonight, or starting right now and tonight and all day tomorrow and I'm gonna start this new journey of, uh, of seeking you more richly in my prayer life and I'm gonna start yielding and connecting, noticing my regularly my dependence on you, God. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make some shifts now going forward. And there is, we got a lot of people here and there very likely is more than probably even one. There's dozens of people in this room who do not know you, God. And they are outside the will of God. They are outside the family of God. They would love to have a prayer life, of course, but they don't have it because they have not taken advantage of that opening of that doorway and that pathway to God that God gave when he gave his one and only son and you if you're in that position right now, we are so glad you're here, but maybe you're ready to just take that step and say, God, I, I wanna know more of you. I wanna, I wanna get to know you. I wanna, I wanna learn what a healthy, I wanna begin a healthy prayer life with you, God. Not that you're gonna get all the answers today, but you wanna begin that journey. And how do you begin that journey? You, you recognize that Jesus did what he did on the cross to create a way for you to connect with God. You pray the one prayer that he will hear from you right now. And that one prayer is what we would call the prayer of repentance. It says, God, I admit I've lived away from you in my life, but now I'm ready to live with you and for you. I turn from the way I've been living and I'm ready to turn and live a life for you, God. I'm gonna learn along the way, but I wanna begin that journey today. God, forgive me of my sin. Some of you right now are doing that and you're experiencing the realness of who God is right now, just from where you're at, beginning that journey. And we give thanks as we learn and grow together. In Jesus' name, amen.